From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. Remember here, while you're here at Riggs and Lane, uh, particularly, of course this is a... a where you happen to be, so I can talk about how you should be at Rigsenling. And you remember why you're here, and be curious about that from time to time. Ask yourself why you're here. Uh, The answer is to work on your mind, And what that means is, uh, in every circumstance that comes up, uh, try to do your best to develop uh, the qualities of the path, which are easily, uh, say, remembered as being uh, renunciation, compassion, and pure view. So whatever, whatever comes up in your mind, directed towards developing those qualities, There's no difference between uh, when you come to puja, which we use as an opportunity to learn not to be distracted. It's very clear. We read every morning very clear descriptions, very clear instructions, basically, on what to do in carrying out that practice. So, uh, thinking of uh, other things is a distraction from that. The point of, of the practice is to not be distracted from it. If you're distracted from a, a formal practice, then no matter how many uh, hours or months or years you spend on it, it won't do anything. Maybe uh, not doing unvirtuous speech, but your mind may be unvirtuous. So train yourself to not be distracted as you recite and visualize and do the practice. Which means you have to have some renunciation for thoughts that are distracting you. We get distracted. By distracted, I mean indulging in thoughts other than what you're doing. Indulging. 
And indulging comes from not having renunciation. Indulging is the cause of suffering, cause of samsara, fixation. So check your mind during practice all the time as you can. And then that quality of being able to check your mind to see whether or not it's on your practice or not, when you're not practicing in a formal uh, sense, that quality of mindfulness should stay with you. Maintain that, which is always notice what your mind is doing, always. First thing in the morning, what is the condition of your mind? What is your mind doing? The last thing at night, what is the condition of your mind? If you uh, progress in, in practice, and as you fall asleep, what is the condition of your mind? How, when you're dreaming, what is the condition of your mind? That is the thread that leads you to awakening to the nature of your mind. Somewhere in all that confusion and obsession and fixation is the nature of your mind that doesn't change by any of that. There's no difference between day and night, hot and cold, So one point, always know what your mind is doing. Always check your mind. You can't work on your mind if you don't know you have one. And when you're distracted and fixated on things, it's as if you don't have a mind. To, to really practice renunciation, which is the, uh, what is it, the root root of the path, I suggest you uh, regularly look, uh, examine yourself and acknowledge and, and know, be very clear about what your worst fault is. What is your worst uh, flaw? your kleshas, and what are you especially afflicted with? Not necessarily uh, yeah, that, just that. If you don't know that, you won't know how to practice. You won't know what to direct your practice at. All your practice should be directed towards that. Not, there's a difference between that and just having studied Buddhism and knowing all the 
kleshas and the, the suffering of samsara and the cause of suffering and virtue and non-virtue. And then you practice. It's very vague. The results of your practice will be very vague and kind of tangled up with a lot of information so that it doesn't really get to your flaws. You're prideful? Is that your issue as an ongoing thing? We have one. You should know exactly what you're, as if someone's asking, you write to your face, what is your main problem? What is your main flaw? What is your main klesha? And recognize that, how that informs how you speak, how it informs how you act, and so forth. We have all of them. But usually there's one that's the strongest. And that's where you should direct your practice, that's where you should direct your aspirations. said you can, you know, it's the difference between shooting an arrow into space and shooting an arrow at a target. You know, people have practiced for years and years and years, and all they do is get calloused to their own flaws and develop just pride of being a great practitioner, but it hasn't really affected, it doesn't really affect uh, their flaws. And when you're living uh, with Sangha, it's an opportunity, because that's what you see a lot. Only well, usually we see it in others. We see it in each other. This one does this one, this one does that, this one that. When you see your own mind and your own tongue uh, harping on others, you should take that as a gift, as a teaching on how you're not working on your own mind. Like Rinpoche always taught again and again and again, when you see faults in others, when you complain about others, when you... There's another one, when you see, basically when you see the faults in others, uh, right away you should recognize that that's your fault, that's your flaw, that you have that, you have that, that you're seeing. Others are a mirror. If you have no flaws, you can't, there's no way you could see flaws in others. It's impossible to see the flaws in others if you have no flaws. So watch your mind all the time. Watching your mind all the time is uh, no stress. 
It's not stressful to watch your own mind. It's actually very uh, spacious. Usually we watch our own personality, put it forward, take care of it, uh, make sure it's seen in a certain way, make sure that a whole bunch of it is protected. That's stressful. Uh, fearful. Or, uh, or fearful, yeah. Fearfulness with that. And when you recognize your klesha, you know, your, uh, your principal, uh, what we call it, flaw, uh, then you're beginning to develop renunciation. That's what renunciation is, is recognizing your flaws and being determined to become free of it. And since it's impermanent, and you apply your understanding of impermanence to your own flaw, to your own klesha, strongest klesha, and then you, that's renunciation, seeing the impermanence of your own uh, afflictions and being determined to become free of them. That's real renunciation. So there's a process. First is acknowledging and seeing the impermanence of it, seeing the disadvantages of it, and then applying all your aspirations and engagement practice engagement uh, to dispelling it, interrupting it. And by gosh, next thing you know, there's another one that turns out to be dominant. <laughs> then you keep going. <laughs> Don't ever stop. Stopping, again, is stressful. Mm -hmm. And so that's, a, that's a, I think, uh, uh, as, as, as your comportment, is, uh, that, that kind of practice will uh, regulate, you could say, will adjust your comportment your speech and your behavior, it will automatically uh, adjust you uh, in the right way, in the right way, become more excellent. If you don't do that, you just try to behave, then it's, it's questionable. It's, again, it's sort of personality-oriented. Uh, compassion relies on renunciation. And as bodhicitta practitioners, every practice we do 
we should use to develop bodhicitta. A Mahayana practice, a Vajrayana practice, a visualizing light going out, reconverging, that should all be forms of developing bodhicitta. Even it says one, one place says, when you visualize light going out and reconverging, see that as a form of taking and sending in a bodhicitta way. Every, every practice we do, every, even this developing renunciation, everything should be for the purpose of bodhicitta. On the one hand, uh, compassion for, for beings, for those who don't recognize the source of their suffering is their attachment to their afflictions, and a determination to wake up, a determination to wake up to your own nature. You have to have these two intentions or two mind, two, uh, basically like say, we need to train ourselves in both uh, compassion and intention to attain enlightenment. Uh, not just one, not just the other, but both. Sometimes we can say, train in love and compassion Love, in that case, means the attaining of enlightenment. I must attain enlightenment as a way to free others from suffering. As love means wishing others happiness, right? Compassion means not wanting them to suffer. So loving sentient beings means that you must attain enlightenment. But there's no other way for beings to be happy. You can't fulfill your love for them without attaining enlightenment. That's your in, uh, training in that frame of mind. And then without in any way hampering or blocking any of the previous, seeing everything you do as part of an illusion, uh, as part of an illusory display, is cultivating the right view, the accurate view. But it can't be floaty. It has to be, it has to have movement to it. It's like we're not treading water or floating through a dream world. We're swimming. 
And it shouldn't, uh, as I say, it shouldn't interfere with developing pure renunciation, with cultivating, uh, say, all-pervasive, unbiased compassion, but cultivating this uh, quality of uh, illusion, the illusory nature of everything, everything, is a way to do all of the above accurately. Accurately meaning according to absolute truth. So you don't fall into the pitfall of not addressing, not antidoting your fixation on self-clinging. Seeing everything as an illusion is simply the eroding away of self-clinging. Developing renunciation, seeing your own flaws, understanding their impermanence and determining to become free of them is a way of freeing yourself from self-clinging. Developing love and compassion is a way of eroding and deconstructing your self-clinging. So, as I say, there's no dharma practice, there's no dharma practice that is not a practice to reduce self-clinging. And so we have to, we have to, uh, to become a genuine, authentic practitioner, not just somebody who says that. We, we need to embark on an experiment to discover self-clinging, which we can't do. There is, because there's, uh, there's no self, but there is the dregs of self-clinging that we experience as our emotional afflictions, as our pride, as our jealousy, as our envy, as our propensity to be irritated, as our judgment, 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 or judgment, judgmenting, our constant judgmenting. So we can learn, we can backtrack by seeing our flaws. It's the most profound practice of Dharma, is the, the practice of, of seeking out flaws in your own mind, say. That's why in Dujim uh, Rinpoche's uh, confession, he says, you know, may I, something like, may I never even want to see the flaws of others. May I only be concerned with seeing my own flaws. 
please. Bless me so that, that, that I never want to see the flaws of others. So don't, uh, don't betray yourself by your mind thinking and wanting that, but your tongue uh, wagging in the opposite direction. So that's, that's the project. That's why we're all here. To experiment in a good-hearted way along those uh, in that uh, process and trust each other that you're uh, that uh, you say trust the fact that uh, everyone is here doing that. And actually, when you uh, think somebody's not, uh, they're, they're wasting their time, they're, they're doing this bad, they're doing that bad, then that means that you're not. Only Buddha knows the minds of others. The safe harbor is to at least think others are bodhisattvas. All beings have Buddha nature, so at least think others are bodhisattvas. From the Vajrayana point of view, we should never part from recognizing others as being absolutely pure and undefiled. That's how we purify our mind. How could you see faults in others if you're a Vajrayana practitioner? Impossible. So, we should remind ourselves that even though we have wound up through our previous karma in the lap of the Guru, and, as a, and we nominatively can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are Vajrayana practitioners, uh, we should understand that we're basically aspiring to be Vajrayana practitioners, even though there's, uh, there's no such category in Vajrayana. <coughs> But that would be the safest way to approach it, I think, at this point. At least we'd be more genuine. When it comes to aspirations, then we can go overboard. But when it comes to practice, we should be very humble. This is what Kempong Akshong's teachings does, you know. If our worst aspiration, if our worst klesha is pride, we should harness that and make way over the top aspirations, like wanting to be enlightened. It takes some kind of arrogance, you know, some kind of I must be, I must be the kind of a person that can become enlightened. 
we might think. So we should put that in the category of aspirations. Definitely, we need that. If we're so bleak-minded and, and, and uh, weak, uh, we can't even make aspirations to attain enlightenment. Like, well, who am I? You know, it's, somebody like me could never attain enlightenment. You know, what's the point of even wanting to? You know, we can't be that way. So we need that. We're afflicted with just enough pride to, to be able to become good practitioners, I think. So I, usually the first practice we do in taking refuge is to uh, perform many, many prostrations as we go for refuge. So there's just enough in, uh, integrity, just enough pride, you could say, to want to attain awakening, want to attain enlightenment, and through prostrations and refuge, uh, that pride is channeled. It's it's uh, it's it's made workable. It's an antidote, actually, to pride. But it beca pride becomes workable. The Buddhas are all-knowing. All I know is I'm suffering. The Buddhas are all-compassionate. All I know is that I'm suffering. Now the Buddhas are all powerful. All I know is I'm suffering. I'm powerless. Compassionately, self-absorbed. So this, creating this relationship with our potential in that way. Now as I and countless others are lost in the ocean of samsaric suffering, we have to develop that, that feeling of that. So by taking refuge and then doing prostrations, physical prostrations, and verbally uh, reciting the refuge, our pride is made, is tamed, is tamed. Okay. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa, feel free to go to chagdagumpa.org.